0: Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. Today on the podcast, my guests are Deb Fortin and John Vincent. John is a former U.S. Navy submarine master chief, and Deb has been leading businesses in corporate America for more than 25 years. Together, they started a company called The Submarine Way, where they help companies improve their performance using principles from the U.S. submarine force. Specifically, they help companies improve engagement through diversity and inclusion. And here's the deal the way they think about these two subjects is really game changing. This is a powerful episode, especially with everything going on in our country. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Deb Fortin and John Vincent. Deb and John are the co-founders of Submarine Way, a training and consulting company. They are also co-authors of two leadership books, Diversity and Inclusion in the Submarine Way and Up Periscope, Putting Traditional Leadership in the Crosshairs. Deb comes from 25 years of leadership in in the corporate world, and John comes from 20 years Of U.S. Navy Submarine Service, where he retired as a command master chief. They combined their military and corporate experiences to help build better leaders and stronger organizations. Since I've spent time in both worlds, I know this is going to be an exciting conversation. So Deb and John, welcome.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Good to be here, John.
0: So just to get started off, uh, Submarine Way, what type of organization is this and, and what, what kind of work do you do and who are you helping? What are the kind of companies that, and uh, organizations you're helping?
1: Um, what, what we do at our, at our core, John, is it's leadership development through the lens of inclusion. Um, mm. We have a rather unique view of inclusion. We look at inclusion as a business strategy, and this comes directly from submarines. Um, there's two components to it you have to be interdependent and then you have to be collaborative and if you have those two components you you have the good foundation uh, of inclusion but it has to be drafted through some uh, meaningful leadership So what we do at our, our at our core is we do consulting we do speaking we do training both virtual and on-site all virtual now go figure right. Sure. Uh, um, uh, but what what we really are is we're a long play company, and what we mean by that is we're in there to change behaviors and change cultures. Um, we we pride ourselves in pre work, and we pride ourselves in very large amounts of post work uh, You know, to make sure that that material that's taught is retained. So, consulting, speaking, coaching. um, What am I missing, Deb?
2: Well, training, I, I, I didn't say training. Yeah, training. And, and I think one of the important pieces of this is not only my corporate background, but, but John also did, um, spent some time at Gallup and he's a huge Gallup fan. So he learned the skills to actually change human behavior That's because fantastic. we can believe you can call yourself a training company and you can do keynotes and workshops, but if you're not really in it to change human behavior, then you're not really gonna be successful at what you do. So we use that, that corporate understanding of uh, you know, the business world and the difficulty that, that we see in the business world with, with the system on submarines, which we'll probably get to in a minute, and with uh, John's Gallup background to actually change human behavior.
1: Yeah, very quickly, John, you, first of all, Diversity and Inclusion the Submarine Way, our first, our first book, it's a pretty unique title. Uh, but you'll very rarely see a book on diversity, on inclusion, or on leadership that the entire, there's an entire chapter. In fact, it's the last chapter on return on investment. Because mm. uh, we fundamentally believe if you can't measure it, you can't, you know, if you can't measure change and improvement, then, you know, it was a fun day, or it was a fun three months, but you have right. to, be able to show return on investment. And I
2: can tell you from my corporate background, I I couldn't do anything without (laughs) showing what the return on investment was. So that is a key to what we do is being able to measure and understand what the what the investment is and what that return on investment is for organizations. So or communities or universities, whoever we touch, Hmm. you know, we have a goal in making a difference with them.
0: That's really interesting because I think a lot of the things we talk about in leadership and in trying to improve organization. Obviously, you can talk about uh, employee engagement being one measure of success, right? And uh, we know that sure. employee engagement is terrible, uh, at least according to Gallup <laughs> in the surveys they do, right? So we you know enough. employee engagement <laughs> is is terrible, and you can you, that's one way to measure is are you getting more engagement? But but the real question is if say you have uh, seventy or eighty percent engagement, you know what does that what does that do to your bottom line? Because I think if you're looking at a, at a business from a corporate standpoint, the guy in the corner office wants to say, all right, well, now everybody's engaged. What does that do for me, right? What's the, what's the bottom line?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and, and what's fascinating with that is, is you're absolutely right. I, I think when, Gallup, uh, when, when first break, all the rules came out, which was sort of the seminal study on engagement.
0: By and, the way, for your one lessons, of my John, one of my favorite books ever. I almost mentioned it when you said right, Gallop. That's one of my favorite awesome. books ever. So,
1: yeah, yeah, it, it is. A, it is an amazing book, and I love it because it's completely contrarian. You know, it's it okay to spend eighty percent of your time with your best performers. I There's a reason that. for that. Yes. They're your best performers. Yes. Um, but when they first, when that first came out, and the seminal study, it was I, I think the number was thirty-one percent engaged, and uh, engagement. We throw that We banter that around. All engagement is is discretionary effort. Mm. There's people that do enough not to get fired, and then there's people that go above and beyond, and they're looking for more, and they're pushing, and they're innovative. So, really, what the end game here is, you want to get to discretionary effort. We mm.
2: actually demonstrate that in workshops yeah. too.
1: Um, so here, this comes out in 1999. Corporate America goes nuts. Hundreds of billions of millions of dollars are spent in driving engagement, driving engagement, driving engagement. And I'm here to tell you and everyone who's listening, and this, the numbers back this up all of this money, all of this focus, and engagement hasn't changed. In the United States, it it's hasn't. still about 32%. Yes. And the I, reason is, nope. and you touched on this, John, is you don't change engagement by doing engagement training.
2: Um, <laughs> yes. You have
1: to change behavior. So you have to address things like communication, like compassion, like um, true inclusion, like how focused are people on the mission? Do they even know what's expected of them? Mm, you have to actually drive those things that you can measure. Lo and behold, at the bottom of it, or at the top of it, depending on how you want to look at it, is how much time are people spending in their area of expertise, in their area of passion, the things they do well, what Gallup calls yes. call strengths. There's good science behind that. Most of us like doing things we're good at, and we want to spend more time doing that. All of that blended together, a byproduct of that is higher engagement. But when you start off going, we want to raise our engagement numbers, you're screwed. Right, right. Can I say
2: screwed? I
1: guess I can.
0: You I did. did.
2: You did.
0: Yeah. Yeah. This is podcast land. We're not uh, regulated than I so. am.
2: <laughs> At least bad. no one's <laughs> no
0: one's told me that yet. So, <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a really good, important thing because I think, um, and and that's why I think we sometimes get stuck with some people say that. Uh, you know i always talk about you know if you want to increase your engagement you want to get employees involved and active in, in in the business it's about it's about the leadership style it's about it's about how you treat people it's it's what some people call soft skills and we don't like soft skills in corporate america right we like hard numbers we like hard skills and so i think sometimes We, those things, like you said, it's about changing behavior, not going to, uh, you know, uh, training, engagement training, right? It's about, it's about changing the behaviors and how you treat people and how much time they spend in their, in the things that they're passionate about, right? You know, do their personal goals align with the company goals, right? And when that is, and, uh, and they're allowed to, you know, operate in the things that they're passionate about, they're going to be a lot more involved, engaged, and trying to help drive the business results. Absolutely. Right? Yeah.
2: Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep.
0: Interesting. All right. So, um, you know, when I saw a company called submarine way, I mean, I, how could I not love this company? Right. Uh, <laughs> given, given my, uh, background. So what is it about, what is it about submarines in particular, that background that you had, John uh, and combining it, Deb, with your corporate background, how does the, how does the world of submarines come into the world of, of leadership training and, and, and organizational training and organizational development? Why, why the submarine focus? What's so special yeah, about so, that?
2: So I'm going to take a step back a little bit and tell you how we sort of figured out that this was important in, in the corporate world. Uh, We were we were actually doing a speech for a diversity and inclusion conference and uh, John was actually the one who was doing the speaking although they asked me to speak He was working at Gallup at the time and he was speaking all over and when I offered up his services. They said great So we sat about to to write the speech I usually write the write the training material and the keynotes and and the speaking and all of that so Started to write it, and I said, "John, let's talk about how inclusive submarines are." Mm, so this is a this is a diversity inclusion conference. They're going to want to know how it works on submarines. People love submarine stories, right? Always. Right. Right. And he said, "Well, there isn't really a system on submarines." And I said, "Well, there has to be, John. I mean, you you say that no matter what boat you're on, inclusion happens." right he said yeah and i said well then there's a system i can tell you from my corporate background you you might not know it right now but there is a system on it so we unpacked the system and there's a five part system on submarines and these five parts drive inclusion so we spoke on it at this conference and it was unbelievable what what happened yeah yeah it was so,
1: we, we we usually hit it out of the park we don't hit it out of the park to the extent of of you know the city manager weeping and and pastors of very wow. large churches saying how do we do this wow how how do how do we how do we actually drive this because we've always approached inclusion John as the right thing to do and it is it, it, it is the right thing to do but we've been saying that now if you just tie it loosely to the civil rights movement we've been saying that for 60 plus years And I literally opened the speech with this to a largely African-American audience who was wondering what the skinny white white guy was doing on stage. There were (laughs) like 300
2: people in the room about that. About that.
1: And and I simply said this, if it's the right thing to do, and we all agree it's the right thing to do, we need to do something different. Because here we are 60 plus years into this experiment, and 96% of Fortune 500 CEOs are white guys like me. So we're fundamentally approaching this wrong. Inclusion isn't, forget it's the right thing to do. It's a very powerful business model. And what Deb opened my eyes to is there was literally a system on submarines. You lived it, I lived it. I didn't know it. Nobody ever did diversity and inclusion training, but we always did the same things. And even the captain, right, the PCO reporting to the submarine did a version of the same check-in that the seamen out of basic training did. Yes. Nobody does that in corporate America, but you do it on subs, and it was second nature to us. Right. So when Dev have right. identified this absolute system that if you follow this system, you do drive inclusion, you mm-hmm. do drive mentoring, you do drive better outcomes, you do drive collaboration, you drive all of these things that everyone in Not corporate to mention America better leadership. wants- But they're going at it wrong because they're just going at the pieces. They're not really going at the root, which, again, is behavioral change. So after that, when we had... People
2: people, were following
1: us out to our car.
2: And, you know, it it was so thrilling and emotional because that's always been a passion of mine anyway. I've always wanted to make a difference in a significant way. And I, along with running businesses, I always... Uh, you know, developed diversity and inclusion programs and made those better and all of that in the corporate world. But this was something different. When we got out to the car, I said to John, we have to do something about this. And it wasn't long after that, that I quit my corporate job and I started to write the book. And um, when the book launched, much to our surprise, it became a bestseller right away. Because I think the idea of diversity inclusion and submarines was so absolutely unique. People were like, what the heck? What is this thing? Yeah. And then we yeah. filed for a patent. We actually have a published patent on the system because we were able to prove to the patent office that these five steps along with the methodology, the system and the process actually drive inclusion. And we've been doing it for communities and universities and businesses since it's this is we're going on our fourth year. Our clients ask us to write another book, which is how we got into
1: yeah, we got asked leadership through the lens
2: of inclusion, which is our next book. Um, and, it, you know, it takes a lot of our, our, our thoughts and philosophies about leadership, and it turns a lot of them upside down and says, Excellent, is, this, yeah. is this really a good leadership quality? Maybe not. Um, but it gives some very, very practical tools to people to be better leaders and to be a more inclusive leader, along with this patent-published system. So
0: excellent. Yeah. There I saw, you go. I saw the patent on your website. And I think that's the first time I've seen a patent on a training philosophy or a mindset. That's so, very I think, unique. Yeah. I have, thank you. Congratulations. And I have, we I'm an engineer and I have patent design patents, engineering patents, but they're completely different than what you've done. So, congratulations right. on that. So,
2: yes. Yeah, we
1: were, we were told not to waste our time and money. And we, we basically said, look, if, if we can actually show something that drives measurable inclusion and actually in the patent drives, you have to get to about page eight of it, but drives engagement, right? If you yeah. really want to change engagement, use this, because this is how you change engagement. Again, you don't change it by engagement training. And the patent office went, you know what? That's Never unique. seen anything like this. And we, and we do believe if you do this, it produces that, which, of course, you know, is the basic tenets of a patent. Why is it unique and does it do something different?
0: That's <laughs> phenomenal. Yeah. No, I'm, I was excited when I, as, a, as an engineer, I was excited to see that. I said, that's <laughs> definitely unique. So, um, you know, it's interesting, uh, you know, inclusion, diversity and inclusion, submarines. You know, I, I served, I got out in 1994. We were all male crew, right? So we did yep. not have, we didn't have diversity with regard to women and men, right? Um, However, what we did have was we had people from all over the country, right, that uh, and, and every, you know, every imaginable background, uh, you know, whether poor, rich, uh, white, black, I mean, Hispanic, we had people from all over the country. And you threw us on a boat. We're all young, you know, 20 something, whatever, 18, 20 year olds. And, and we they were they gave us a, a warship with, you know. A nuclear reactor to run, right? And we made it happen. Like, and we made it happen all the time without incident, right? And yep. it's incredible that the submarine community is a really incredible place where leadership really takes place, inclusion takes place. It's interesting. I did get a chance to interview one of the first uh, female uh, submarine officers, uh, Stephanie Treese, and her yep. experience as or a junior name. officer. And her experience as a junior officer was exactly the same as mine. And, and here she is years later now, women are on board submarines, and she had almost an identical experience as my own. And in, in, in a kind of a breakthrough, you know, change in the way submarine, mm-hmm. you know, submarines now having women on board. So when you say diversity and inclusion, are you saying it like we think of it, like, uh, like races, genders, all that? Or is it more than that?
1: It's
2: more than that. Yes, it is that, but it's also more than that. Yeah, it's a
1: much broader interpretation because we sell ourselves short, John. And again, my my core expertise is is behavioral change. Um, And we sell ourselves short when we when we limit ourselves to protected class, Mm, Um, because it's not that that's not important. It is important. But what's more important is that each one of us literally our DNA is different. Mm. And we bring something completely unique. And if you can tap into that uniqueness, now you have something really, really
0: exceptional. I love this. This is really, this is really what, I, what I just heard was really special because every person is unique. It doesn't matter. Yes. And that's maybe the one thing I, le- I, I learned, you know, standing, I did seven patrols on the Tennessee, right? I spent a lot of time in the box, you know, either, either engineering off the watch or off the deck, right? I uh, spent reader. a lot of time <laughs> with people, Right. And I knew the people that work for me. I knew them intimately. I knew I knew how long they've been married. I knew their favorite video games, their favorite movies, their favorite characters. I knew what made them laugh. Right. And we we had a deep relationship. And so I I my my leadership was individual. I led each individual differently. And in what what was unique about them and what was special about them and what made them tick. And I think sometimes leaders, we want to take a cookie. Cutter you will approach. love both of our books, by the way. Oh, good. <laughs> but what you're you saying will love is both like of the
2: books because yeah, <laughs> because the appreciation uniqueness. of the individual is yeah. where everything starts.
1: Ah, okay. that's great. That's powerful. we have a fairly famous line that we use pretty regularly. That when you're talking about leadership development, whether it's the development of the you know the leader of him or herself, or the people that they are developing in turn, one size fits all fits absolutely nobody. Right. It, right. it just doesn't. There are people that you can just tap on the back in the morning and say "Good to see you," and they're off and running. And there's other people right. that need a daily brief. Yes. Then there's other people that don't want you to even talk to them. Just leave me alone and tell me what you need done. That's exactly. And right. if you know those nuances, then you can develop people effectively. If you if you if you take some generic checklist and go, "This is what John needs," you, you have there. There's one little stat I'll share with you from Gallup from their Clifton Strengths Assessment whether people are familiar with it or not, essentially you get five themes, which are pockets of talents. The odds of two people in the world having the same top five, there's only 34 of these things. The odds of two people having the same top five are one in 250,000. The odds of two people having the same top five themes in the same order are one in 34.4 million. Wow. And yet we say, read this book and you knew how to lead. Read this book and you will know how to, it's absurd. You have to learn people and their nuances in order to maximize what they can do. And it's not impossible. If you have 50,000 people in your organization, you just have to break it down to the smallest, you know, reasonable unit. Right. And you apply the same principles. Just think of it as 400 submarines working in unison. It works.
0: Right, right. Well, that's why you have to have the good frontline managers, right? You want to have that. Correct. You want yes. to have good, you know, your span of control is small enough where you have, you know, you basically can can you can know the people that work for you, right? So, you right. know, in, in my life-
2: professionally develop that person so that they're a good leader. Because so if you don't professionally develop that person yes. and they're a good leader, you're yes. in trouble.
0: Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I know. I think that's the mark of a good leader is to recognize they're good people, right? They're, they're, and their talent and the people that have that, yeah. Exceptional ability potentially, and giving them those opportunities, mentoring them, and and developing de- developing them into being the next leader to replace you, to so that you know you can do other things, right? Is to making yourself obsolete at the yeah. end of the day, and making sure you develop people. So, excellent. Yeah. I think, and I think the submarine force, I think, is really Absolutely. unique in the way they do um, that. Employee development, I guess the best way to say it is the qualification process is very unique to submarines that you don't see in any, at least I never saw it in, in my corporate life, is that when you come on board a submarine, if you're an 01 Ensign, right, or an E, probably an E2 or 3 by the time you get to the boats, um, you have, a, you have, a, you, you have a, a way to go, a path to go. You have to get qualified. You have to show competency. You have to be able to show to your fellow shipmates that you have their back by being competent enough to stand watch. And, and that's something we don't do in the corporate world. We give people a cubicle and a computer and we say, hey, good luck. And oh, by the way, the mission statement, it's in the lobby in a dusty frame. You need to read through that. Make sure <laughs> yes. you understand it, right? Yes. We don't do any uh, training or qualification or, or anything like that, do we?
1: No, and
2: and, and actually one of our workshops is actually mission training and not not mission statement on the wall But how do you take that role? And how do you focus on the mission? And how does that organization? Empower people to understand what their role is and focus on the mission. Um, and it's one of our most powerful workshops.
1: It, it's interesting, John. Uh, one of the slides I love to share with people, especially people that, that you know they're intrigued. They you know they watch a couple of submarine movies, but I like <laughs> to share the raw data with them and say, just think of your own organization. Just think of you know whether no matter what you what you do in your in your organization. Now think of the submarine, which, as you know, is the most sophisticated vessel ever created. Right. Bar none. I'm including space shuttles. I'm including everything else. And at least in a space shuttle, you can put on a suit and you can you know, tether yourself and go for a spacewalk. You try that at test depth, things aren't going to turn out very well. So it's the most hostile environment on earth and the most sophisticated vessel in the world. And yet the average age of a submariner is
0: 23.
1: Mm. 80% of them only have a high school diploma. Now you go, well, there must be sage people there that know things that have been around forever. <laughs> the, the, the 90% of the crew is under 35 years of age, and the average tenure is less than six years of submarine experience. Mm. And yet in 60 plus years of operating the most sophisticated vessel on Earth, which is propelled by a nuclear reactor,
0: right in by an environment
1: way. where nuclear reactors are not really designed to operate, there has never been a nuclear accident. That's yeah. just amazing. A bunch yeah. of high school educated kids. Now, these are people that most people would let them do an inventory in their stock room.
0: Yes, exactly. And it's
1: all because of the submarine approach. We expect more. We train to it. You matter if you contribute. And all of that goes together to produce exceptional results. And it's completely a fallacy that like, well, I'll you enough, you know, you're in a 300-foot tube. You know, try to do that in seven locations. Of course you can do it in seven locations. You just hit it right out of the park. It's span of control. Right. Those people have to have that same touch point, that same contact, that same level of understanding. And you can duplicate the submarine environment. And we have for time and time again over the years. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors.
0: Deep Leadership is brought to you by Strikeforce Energy. Strikeforce Energy is a veteran-owned company founded by a Navy SEAL, and their products are all made in the USA. Strikeforce Energy is a liquid flavor pack that you can add into any beverage. It has zero calories, zero carbs, and zero sugar. Each pack contains 80 milligrams of caffeine. Strikeforce Energy is offering a discount to all the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to StrikeForceEnergy.com and enter the discount code I have the Watch, one word, for a 20% discount on every order. Deep Leadership is also brought to you by my Amazon best-selling book, I Have the Watch, Becoming a Leader Worth Following. This book is filled with 23 short stories on how you can become a more effective leader. It's super easy to read and most people finish it in less than two hours. Go to ihavethewatch.com and click the large orange button for signed copies. Enter the discount code I have the watch, one word, at checkout for 20% off your order, and domestic shipping is always free. So, the new book. Yep. Uh, up Periscope putting traditional leadership in the crosshairs. When does that come out? And what's the focus of that book?
2: Just came out on it Friday.
1: Literally just came out last last Friday. Okay. Came out, Great. Came well, out, Congratulations. Six days ago. Okay.
2: Yeah. We're waiting for that's the hardcover version. The paperback version comes out any day now. So, okay. Okay. And and um, the audio not audio the um, Kindle, Kindle is out. is already out.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. Well, congratulations.
2: Thank so you. What's, what's the
0: main focus in the new book?
1: Leadership. Yeah,
2: excellent.
0: It is my favorite it is topic. Pure, <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it is pure leadership. the The first the fir, The first book had a chapter on leadership, written by one of my personal heroes and former commanding officer, Brad McDonald, still a dear friend.
2: And we think inclusive um, behavior is is a form of leadership too. That mm-hmm. if you're not if you don't have an inclusive mindset, you're not going to be a good leader. So we think it's woven through it but we tackled leadership head on in the new book. Okay. So in something we call the five anchors of, of leadership. So the,
1: the five anchors of leadership, which is essentially the first five chapters of the book, um, what they are, John, is, is is literally almost feedback from our results with our clients. And, and we sat down and we looked and said, what programs are most impactful? What delivery is most impactful? Let's distill this down using our methodology, our system, and our process, which is a foundation of everything we do, and what really bubbles up here. Um, I love leadership. I read everything in leadership that I possibly can. Most of it is very long on theoretics and, mm. and all sorts of, you know, be more transparent. Well, that sounds great. What I'm all up for that. <laughs> How do you be more transparent? What does that even mean? Go back to each of us is different. Therefore, I just heard that 365 billion different ways when you say be more transparent. So you have to provide something tangible to people to work with. So we built these five anchors and they serve as the foundation of the book.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. So I look forward to reading that uh, when it comes out or as it gets out. So congratulations. That's uh, that's exciting. And so now will you use the the book in terms of using that as, as, you, as you have your development training plans with uh, different organizations? Will you use Uh, Some of the concepts of the book.
2: Yes. And in fact, we already have Um, We actually built a lot of the the workshops that we've been doing over the last year and a half Out of what we felt were those anchors of leadership without actually forming the book and uh, You know, once I had uh, one of one of the anchors is about accountability and one Mm -hmm. of them is about being a compassionate leader so when, once I had those built, it was easy to take those concepts from the workshops and seeing how they were transforming. So it's sort of like we we backed into, uh, you know, ha- how they were successful in actually changing whether it's a you know, a a community or a university, we backed into that. And then we wrote the book from our results. And we said, these are the five anchors of leadership that have changed the behavior and have changed the organizations that we have touched. And there's about two years worth of information there on why these five anchors are the most critical things. And under each anchor, there are things like integrity is critical. If If you're not a leader with integrity, it's you're not going to be successful as a leader. you're not going to get the respect of your team, that kind of thing. And you, you probably have some input into that.
1: No, I was just that um, to your point about the books we, we we use our books along with a lot of other material. We do pre-work, we do pre-assessments, we do surveys because again, we want to be a more collaborative team of general managers. We're all over the country. okay. And then, what do you do in five months? Ask people if they're talking to each other more. I mean, you have, you have to baseline things and you have to measure things and you have to drive to something so you can see what the delta is and have you gotten to the results of it. So, we use our books as reinforcement. There's pre reading before every, everything we do, whether it's online or in person. Then there's post reading assignments where you're going to have to read half of a chapter and then you have to get together with the four other people in the, in the, that were in the program with you, compare notes. What did you get away from this? What are you going to do differently? So, our books. Are an integral part of what we of what we train and what we consult with. We mm. I use it in coaching sessions. I'll send I'll send a coaching client a book and say, Hey, next session we're gonna be talking about chapter five. You might want to skip it. Right. Um, because right. they're manuals for driving leadership and inclusion. They're not aspirational, they're literally manuals.
0: Mm. Mm. You touched on it. That was good. That was really yeah. good. <laughs> I don't think I've ever
2: said that out loud before, can I?
0: We did get that, that on tape, was so it it have
2: really to We <laughs> really feel like if you if you go to leadership training or any kind of a training and uh, the, you know, the moment you leave there's no reinforcement, it's just not going to stick. So yeah. learning decay happens very quickly. And, you know, after 30 days, people really remember very little. So a lot of what we do is in reinforcement. So whether it's our, our online learning portals or our Vimeo channel or our books, people get pre-assignments, as John said, and then they get post-assignments. So that when we finally walk away, that has really, it's it stuck with people. And we're seeing that behavior and language is changing. It's, it's so gratifying to oh, hear yeah. um, an organization, like w- the city manager of a community that we worked with came to us and said, what is this onboarding stuff that people are <laughs> talking about? And what what is community? I've never yeah. heard that word before. What is that? Everybody's talking about community. Well, that's all language that's in the system and that's in that behavior transformation that we talk about. And we know that it's sticking when people are really talking about it.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, community is a big, big part of that, I would imagine. I know, I know, you know, coming from a big company, global company, right, we didn't necessarily have the feeling of community. Maybe you had it in your small team, right? Or like, you know, I was part of a design team where I ran, I ran eight different manufacturing plants all over the East Coast. So those were smaller organization, we felt like a team, but in the bigger corporate world, we felt lost, right? But in a small company, what I notice is and the
2: word is actually crew. What's the that? word is crew crew community? It's crew community.
0: It's crew community. Okay, yes, yeah. C- it's crew-munity. teamwork on
2: steroids.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. And I think when I came to when I started a smaller company where you know I'm the founder, right? So I have my, right. the founder's vision is is lived every day in our business, and we're small. There is a tight knit community. We are we're more family than we are. Uh, company right we, yeah. we we are there for each other and we 're there for uh you know whatever whatever happens in somebody 's life we 're there for each other and uh, we 're we're much more of a family than we are um, you know a business and i especially as as we went through the covid crisis, we continued to operate. And we had to be flexible with people's work hours and, you know, making sure that we kept everybody separate and, and uh, cleanliness, but we made sure everybody was comfortable through that process. And, and it, we were all in it together. It wasn't, it wasn't an us and them. It was always what's best for our customers. What's best for us being, you know, uh, to being the company we want to be. So, and it was definitely more mission focused than it was just, you know, I'm here for a paycheck, right? It's, it's, I'm here to that's be part, awesome. I'm here to bring my best to this organization, which is doing its best to bring its best to the, to the, to the industry. And I think when you yeah. have those things aligned, you know, there's this tight knit um, unity, as you mentioned, crew unity.
2: Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, that's well that's good for you for for doing that because these are very, very stressful times. And I think, a lot of organizations small or large don't know how to adjust no. and so mm. the fact that you you just named a number of things that you're doing differently that you know that kind of adjustment is necessary and and your people know that they mm. they know that they matter enough for you to adjust and to to make them and their safety a priority
0: mm. Yeah, that's, that's good. I think, I think it's important. And I think people know when you care, right. And, uh, you yeah. know, you're talking about that individual, when you have a relationship with somebody you treat and they, and they know that you care, uh, it's a it's a slight, it's a, it's a completely different leadership approach than to say, I'm in charge, do what I say. Right.
2: Yes. Completely yeah. different. Yeah. And yeah. a different result
0: too. And different result as well. Yeah. So, um, what would you say if you, if you think about leadership and now your next book is more focused on the leadership side, what makes, what makes a great leader? You guys are both leaders and that's what's, what's neat about it. is you're not, uh, this is not theory. You've been practicing this for decades, right? And this is what I love about it. And and, and same with everything I do. I've been doing this for 30 years. So it's, it's, I love talking about it because it's all, it's what I've been doing for 30 years. You both are practitioners, Right of, of leadership. You've read the books, you, you know, some of the theory or you've written some of the theory, you got patents on it, but you've also practiced it. You've lived in the trenches. You know what it's like when you have a, an employee whose spouse left them or, uh, an employee that's, uh, you know, got a sick child and has to take time. You've been through the the tough rigors of actually leading people. Um, so my question to you is what makes a great leader? If you were say, you know, if we, we've got some, a lot of, a lot of, future leaders that listen to the podcast and people yep. that are thinking about becoming a leader, what makes a great leader in your mind?
1: Um, I'll give you five, you can call them characteristics, you can call them traits, uh, but, uh, but we'll just give it, We'll give you the, the, the short version of them. Um, leaders have to be collaborative, right? Okay. They, they, they can't think they know everything and they can't think they know nothing. They have to be collaborative and to be open. Leaders have to be accountable to themselves first, and then they can hold others accountable. But, but accountability has to start with the leader. So leaders are accountable to themselves first. Leaders are obsessed with development. The number one reason people leave company under the age of 40, leave companies these days, it, forever, it was their direct supervisor. It no longer is their direct supervisor. The number one reason people leave companies now, John, is because of a lack of professional development. Mm, I so agree. leaders are passionate about development, it's something we did very well on submarines and quite frankly do almost embarrassingly poorly in some organizations. So they develop people. Leaders value strengths. They value what you're good at. Now, you have to be competent in other areas. You're not allowed to be dangerous. Um, but what we really, what a, what a leader really does to tap into that value, that unique value of each person is... I call it leaning forward. When you've seen somebody leaning in on a project, like, hmm, I want a part yeah. of that. I'm much yeah. less concerned about what their name is, what their title is, yeah. what degrees they have. They want a piece of this. So yeah. I know they're giving me discretionary effort, the yeah. definition of engagement. So yes. so leaders absolutely lean at the strengths and then compassion leaders demonstrate true compassion. And compassion is one of the most misunderstood terms in, in the leadership world. Somehow mm. it bizarrely equates to like everybody gets a hug. No, that, that's, not, that's not compassion. I, I think Captain Crozier and what happened on the Theodore Roosevelt is a superb example of compassion. Mm. The story from day one was misreported. It was misreported for this reason that his only concern was the health and welfare of his crew. It absolutely was. I don't know the man, I've never talked to the man, but I will bet you any amount of money he saw his mission readiness getting heading towards failure. Mm -hmm. He was going to be unable to operate that nuclear aircraft carrier safely. Number one, mission. Number two, compassion for that crew. So you have to have compassion, but it never works alone in a silo. It has to go along with accountability and these other things. So those are the five things. They're collaborative. They hold themselves accountable before anyone else. They're constantly developing people they value the strengths and the uniqueness of each individual and they lead
2: with compassion. Those and those just happened to be the five anchors too. Oh, are they? Yes. I was just making it up. <laughs> oh, I'm we
0: sure just got a preview. We just got a preview of the book <laughs> right there. Yeah. 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 Well, now We've I can tell five you five of the 10 chapters. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And, and to be honest, I mean, you know, having, <laughs> having been a practitioner for years, I would say you're spot on. I mean, these are these are top skills or abilities, if you will, for leaders. And I love that you touch on compassion, because I think that is a as you said, a misunderstood attribute of great leaders. And um, and again, my you know, in the book I just wrote what I talk a lot about leadership as a people business. Right. And and it's all about people. and It's all about having that relationship with people like we had in the days of the submarine where, You know, we were, you know, we were, we spent, you know, weeks, months, you know, with the same people uh, and we developed those deep relationships with it. And I think you got to do that in companies as well. And I think part of being compassion, compassionate is just having an awareness of, of who, who people really are and all the values they bring. And I love what you said about leaning in. I think that's, I know for me, I, I usually say lights on, I can see when their lights are on, they're excited about something, they're engaged in something and you're like, wow, I'm going to let him run with it or her run with it because I think they're really, they, they, they've got a passion for this. Right. So, and it's really great when you see those lights
1: come on and somebody's really, yeah, it is. Yeah.
2: Yeah. What,
1: uh, just a quick, a quick follow up on, on that compassion word when, when, again, when people, it's such a misunderstood concept in leadership, I would say when you see somebody who's in the wrong seat on the bus to, to steal from Jim Collins and good to yeah. great, right, I, you know, it's John Vincent, it's literally me doing Excel spreadsheets. Now this is fun to watch for a few minutes. But they're always going to be wrong. No matter how much training you give me. No true. Matter, it, 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 it's so true. It, it's, right? It's not. Right? That's, what, that's what the brilliant devs are in the world are for. But, oh, no. But, no. I'm not against my My point is simply this. No one would ever put this in the compassion category. But in fact, it is cruel yes. to let that person suffer in an area, yes. even though they're willing to work 20 hours a day. And you say, man, John is our hardest working guy. You know, he just... He just can't quite put the pieces together. That's cruel. Mm. If you want to show compassion, get John in the right seat and let him bring that energy and let him bring that spark where he can be leaning in in mm, an area yeah. that he actually has some talent. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, you know what? John's really decided to kind of kick it up a notch. No, he's not. You put no, him in the right stick and seat. That's yeah. highly compassionate. And frankly, one of the cruelest things you can do is not to yell at someone. It's to let them languish in an area where they have no chance of being asked mm. yes that's, That's I cool. love that. I oh. love that.
0: It is so true. And I see it day after day. And when I was in the corporate world where people in the wrong jobs and they were miserable and they were they spend their their yep. days just you know thinking about the weekend. Right. And uh, just not yep. really. And then
2: more than likely, they didn't stay because somebody was managing them out because they had bad performance. Right. Not Thinking that if you look beyond that bad performance to why they, they have right. bad performance they're just in the wrong seat the and you need famous. to move them to a different seat and yep. then they can be successful.
0: Wow. That's really great. So good feedback. So those five are, are really great. And, and, and the fact that they're in your book, that's even, uh, even better. So people can, can find that. So well, I'm going to wrap it up here. So I really appreciate having you guys on the show and, and really learning from, you know, your years of experience, your patent, your patented uh, system that you have, um, the you books really that you the put pattern. out. Must be an I am an engineer. What can I? What can I was? I was a nuke? I was a nuke. Cool. What, what can unique. I do? <laughs> but, yeah. Really. Um, so, how can people learn about your company? Uh, get you know get copies of your books. How do uh, how do they find out more about you guys?
2: Boy, we are not hard to find. No. Okay. No, you can we, go we would... to our website at thesubmarineway.com. Um, you could look us up on uh, YouTube. We have a YouTube channel called The Submarine Way. Oh, okay. You can Google The Submarine Way, and there's tons of information.
1: You can go to our Facebook company page, which, strangely enough, is called The, the submarine, submarine Way. way.
2: Uh, the <laughs> way. You <laughs> could <laughs> Google e- either one of our names. Or <laughs> our
1: LinkedIn company page. And
2: you can buy our cool. books.
1: Or, or you can buy our books, which are, yeah. on, which are everywhere. They're Amazon books, uh, books. Um, Barnes & Noble, wherever they sell books. Yeah, if you
2: put in, if you Google the Submarine Way, the Amazon books come up as well, and they're linked. Both the new book and Diversity and Inclusion, the Submarine Way is linked. So uh, we are very, very easy for anyone to find. And we would love to hear from anyone. Yeah. We, 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 we love meeting new people and talking to them about how we can we can truly change things, and we know yeah. because we have. Yeah. Wow, so if you're unhappy with the way your company is, if you're unhappy with the way communities are, because some tragic things are happening. Mm,
0: and exactly. those are
2: things that we need to change through leadership. So
0: I agree. I agree. Yeah. Leadership matters. Uh, it really yes. does. So
2: it does well, outstanding.
0: This is great stuff. I'm going to include all of the links in the show notes to this podcast. So those of you who are listening, okay. trying to write down why you're driving your car, don't worry about it. You can go back and uh, find the links in the website. We'll get that to you. And I really encourage everyone who's been listening in to go check out their website and take a look at these books. This is really something special. Uh, they took really a lot of really good, exciting and innovative ideas from the submarine community and they brought them into corporate in a way that I think is, is easily, easily understandable and, uh, you can implement them and you can really make changes, real changes, lasting changes, not just, uh, surface stuff. So, uh, uh, and this being the podcast called Deep Leadership, I love the fact that we went deep, and uh, we learned some uh, some great lessons from from both of you. So I really appreciate all your insight today. So thank you very much. Thank,
2: well, thanks thank for you for us. inviting us. Yes. Appreciate it, John. Absolutely.
0: Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying, take care
1: Hey, what's happening out there, everybody? This is Lawrence Ross, and I'd like to tell you a little bit about my podcast, The Lawrence Ross Show. Egomaniac. It's a two-hour weekly exploration into my mind. I also do sketches, celebrity impersonations. You're out of order! And I also do song parodies. Not too shabby for a blind guy. Not only are you visually impaired, but you are geographically impaired. New episodes are released every Friday. Check it out on your favorite podcasting platform or listen to it here on Society 13 on